0: Almighty God, Heavenly Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So Habakkuk, we've seen in our study so far in Habakkuk two complaints, two complaints from Habakkuk, Habakkuk's first complaint. I've got a second complaint. We've seen an answer from the Lord, and we come to a passage of five woes. So, if you look with me in the Bible to Habakkuk 2 and verse 6, it says at the beginning, Woe to the Chaldeans. Shall not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence of the earth, the cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe to him! Who gets evil gain in his house, set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm? You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out, and the wall, and the beam, and the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire? And the nations weary themselves for nothing. the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbours drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you in utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake! to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. May the Lord bless the reading of this holy and inerrant word. In verse 5 of chapter 2, the verse before our reading, if you remember, it says, Moreover, why is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And that's what Babylon is going to do. As the Chaldeans are raised up, and as they march across the world of the ancient Near East, and they conquer nation after nation, The mighty Assyrian nation will fall. And eventually, the marauders, Babylon, will come to tiny Judah. And Judah will fall. Nation upon nation, gathering for himself conquered peoples. That is what the prediction was in verse 5. In verse 6, the tables have turned. And now the Lord is prophesying not the great conquering force of Babylon, but what will happen to Babylon in judgment for their sin. This Verse 6 says, shall not all these. Well, who are the all these? Well, they're the nations, they're the peoples that Babylon has gathered for himself. And he says, shall not all these take up their torments against him with scoffing and riddles for him. The Lord is prophesying through Habakkuk a coming day when those nations, whether great or small, those nations that have been conquered by the mighty arm of Babylon will come and look upon the destruction of Babylon the Great. And they will join together in scoffing ridicule in their song of taunting. At the end of the 7th Century Judah wasn't an impressive empire. Israel had reached the height of its power under King David. And under Solomon, it was something of a significant player in the region, but never a world power. It didn't dominate like Assyria, Egypt or Babylon. Israel had been through a series of mainly bad kings, except for Josiah. Israel was the northern kingdom, which was wiped away in 722 by Assyria. And a few short years later, Judah, the southern kingdom, would also be overrun. So the kings after Josiah are weak, puppet kings. There's nothing impressive about them. But the promise is that even Judah, together, with the conquered nations of the world, will rise up one day and sing this song of woe. So look at the two complaints. Remember the two complaints that Habakkuk has made. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Why do you make me see iniquity? Why? And then Habakkuk 1 verse 13, Why do you look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So Habakkuk's first complaint was, O oh Lord God, why are you turning a blind eye to the sin in our midst? And God's answer was, look and be, wonder and be amazed, for I am doing a work that you would not believe if told. God hadn't turned a blind eye to sin. God was going to punish it by raising up the Chaldeans to conquer his own covenant people. And that promise, that second complaint, Lord, the Babylonians are more wicked than us. If you're punishing us for our sin, how can you turn the blind eye to them for their greater sin? And now we see the Lord's answer. That even though Babylon will be used in the short term as the instrument of sovereign God's judgment in his time, In his time, they will be the object of his wrath. And this is the worst sort of injustice. Though from God's cosmic view, it is complete justice for the people. But in the midst of cosmic chastisement, it is the case that Babylon was a wicked people and had come to wreak such havoc upon God's world. People suffered. Lives lost cities destroyed, crops burned, little ones' hopes were dashed. So with such exquisite pain and sense of oppression, then to see the oppressor cast down is to see justice meted out. Was bound to elicit from these nations this cry of rejoicing? There is something right in the conquered nations of the world Rejoicing over Babylon's downfall. It's a feeling, of course, that good stories and films know that they can always tap into. There is something in us that says that is justice. If you're in a cinema, when the people are watching something completely made up, you can feel it, can't you? That palpable sense that when the baddies get what they deserve, and there is justice. So, we shouldn't be too hard on these nations who are rising up with a song of taunting upon Makil Babylon. But the thing for us to consider is on the day of God's judgment and in His coming, will we be singing the song of justice or will we be facing God's judgment? See, a song like this, is that there, there is hope. Brothers and sisters, there is hope for the downtrodden. There is. There is hope for the outcast and it's a warning for the wicked. It's a warning for the wicked. And we see in these five woes, five reasons why God will judge the nations. Five reasons why God will judge Babylon. Five reasons that he would judge us. Five reasons that he would judge Great Britain or any nation. God is not mocked, my friend. God has not mocked. The enemy has not won. The enemy has not won. God's judgment will come in his time. So let's look at these five woes. Number one is greed. We could call it the sin of greed. The word in verse 6, which is translated woe, is the Hebrew word how. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? Sometimes it's used as a funeral lament. It can be translated as alas. Other times it's a basic cry of attention. and can be translated as aha. But here it is announcement of doom. How? Woe to him. And in each of these five woes, just remember these five woes, you see the same pattern. There is a description of the sin And then a revelation of the recompense. What they're going to receive for their sin. Here, the sin of Babylon is that they're greedy; They're taking what doesn't belong to them. He heaps up what is not his own and loads himself with pledges. And those pledges is that Babylon has come in and oppressed the people. And now they're making the conquered people their debtors. They owe them some tribute. They owe them some taxes. They owe them their own livelihood verse 8, You have plundered many nations. They are a greedy people. That's the sin. Greed. But the recompense. And in each of these sections, the punishment fits the crime. The sin that they've meted out will be the judgment that they receive. You know what I mean? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we know that that sort of standard of justice requires mercy. Before we get to critical and 21st century woke and say, that is just Old Testament. You know, we're a bit embarrassed about the Old Testament really. We don't really like talking about it too much. It's a bit barbaric, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We don't really like it very much. And we kind of ignore that that is in our Bibles. But realise that part of the eye for the eye the tooth for the tooth was so that they didn't exact more vengeance than that was necessary. That's why it was there. You knock out a tooth, you only get a tooth. It is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you knocked out my tooth, because what they were saying was, if you knocked out my tooth, I'm going to burn down your village and kill your family. So we hear it as barbaric, it was intended to limit the retribution. But at its heart, at its heart, it's a reflection for the way that justice works. Should there not be a payment? A sin has been committed. Should that sin not be paid for in kind? So we see the recompense, the debtors become the creditors. Verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake will make you tremble? The people that you've stolen from, the people you've forced to pay tribute, will on the day of your downfall rise up and you will have to pay them. The plunder become the plunderers. And verse 8, because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. You see, it's a warning to the powerful. What would happen when and if the tables are turned? That's the theme of many. Judgments, Mary's Magnificat in the New Testament, that there is coming a great reversal. That those who've been proven to be wicked and lined themselves and their wealth on the basis of oppression, people who've become wealthy on the backs of oppression, will one day face their oppressors. So we have here a picture of public vindication. For the righteous and a public shaving of the wicked. That's greed. Look at the second woe, it's injustice. And so let's go back to that same little pattern the sin and then the recompense. The sin is that Babylon is feathering its nest with straw from other people's homes. Verse 9 Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high to be safe. From the reach of harm. Just think about it in our world. You see, Babylon thinks himself above, you know, above, you know, no one can touch Babylon. They, you know, they think that they're, they're way above justice. Babylon thinks himself as a mighty eagle, far out of the reach of any harm or violence. Babylon built this magnificent nest for himself. How did Babylon build it? by robbing other people and committing injustice and taking from the houses of others and the livelihoods of others so he can fill his own fortress. And now Babylon thinks that he's invisible, he's untouchable. Nothing can touch Babylon. Well, we've seen in the 20th century, haven't we, how the untouchable can be toppled. I didn't think in my lifetime I'd seen the Berlin Wall come down. But it came down. I didn't think that I would see our whole nation go into lockdown. But we did. Might we ever fall into that temptation? Perhaps not now in a season of so much uncertainty and disease. But we can be tempted to think that we have our home. I have the way things, the way I like it. I have my pension. I have my retirement. I'm not old enough for pension yet, by the way, in case anyone thinks. Uh, We are untouched. We're unable to be truly harmed from the things that affect other people in the world. I am untouchable because I've insured myself to the hill and I'm fine. Nonsense. Nonsense. Because here in particular, the Lord's warning is not simply because they have a nest or they've built for themselves a secure fortress. We see that cities and fortresses were often the blessing of God's people. But here in particular, they built that on the backs of other people. Verse 10: You devise shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. What goes around comes around. The people they've defrauded, the people stolen from, the people oppressed will one day pile on you in your day of woe. Verse 11, the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. The stones that they had stolen from their conquered people, they had raised cities to the ground, and they brought back to Babylon their own gold, their silver, precious jewels and stones. They had robbed people. Then they built for themselves palaces and homes with the materials from plundered nations. And they say, look at this edifice I can build. No one can touch it. And the Lord says, the home that you think is your glory is your shame. The stones cry out. The beams cry out. The bricks, the mortar, the jewels, the gold, the silver cry out. They cry out as they feathered their nest. And so it is with the glory of Babylon, lying in their nest with the straw from other people. God is not marked. I do not know the mind of the Lord and his judgments. I'm not going to make the same joke as I did last week. But I am not a prophet. But he has good cause to judge the nations of the world. He has very good cause to judge our sinful nation. He has reasons to judge our nation. The stones are crying out in the walls. The beams are crying out from the woodwork. Woe well to the nation that commits greed. Woe well to the nation that commits injustice. So we have greed, we have injustice. Thirdly, we have violence. The sin is building a town on blood, verse 12. Babylon on in, killing people. Shipping them off, murdering them in the streets. The foundation of the city was greed. The foundation of the city was injustice and the foundation of babylon was violence and you won't find a country or civilization on the earth civilization on earth that at some point didn't build their cities at the expense of other humans even the pyramids in egypt the roman empire was a vast system of slavery it is a universal sin building our human monuments upon the injustice done to others. And then you see, that's the sin, the violence. Then you see the recompense, verse 13. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labour and their fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing. Nations will weary themselves for nothing. All of these great accomplishments, will they last? People sometimes struggle, scholars struggle, where 14 fits in. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know whether you were listening when I was reading it at the beginning. And suddenly, all this kind of really dark sort of gloom, suddenly, wow! Out of the gloom, suddenly the declaration of the Lord's victory. But if you think about it just for a moment, it fits perfectly. What has the Lord said in verse 13? That Babylon has wearied itself for nothing. They've built monuments of blood and injustice and violence, feathered their nest, built great human civilizations. And then he says, Do you know what will last? Do you know what will cover the end of the age? At the end of this planet, it will be the glory of the Lord. The <laughs> glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Whatever exalts man from God will never last. Brothers and sisters whatever exalts man apart from God will never last. Never. It will pass away. So God is saying to Babylon and God is saying to us do you think that you can make a name for yourself? A flood will come over you like in the days of Noah. But in verse fourteen, it is a flood of glory. What will be left at the end? Not the great cities of man, not our human accomplishments. Certainly not the accomplishments that are built on violence, injustice, and greed. What will be left is the presence and the might of the living God. It will cover the earth. The glory of God will last. And the fourth woe is debauchery, and it's hard to tell if this is personal or a metaphor description of Babylon. But we, hear, we see here a depiction of brutal, drunken revelry and sexual perversion. Verse 15. It's a scene of an orgy. So the recompense is to trade shame for shame. So the, you know, instead of drinking a cup of alcohol leading to a stupor and an orgy, God says you like to drink yourself drunk, you will have your full of shame instead of glory what you think is the pinnacle, the height of your human achievement in pleasure, will be your shame. The end of verse 16, it's almost an offensive recompense, drink yourself, show your uncircumcision. You who have committed great sexual sin will be drunk on the Lord's wrath and the Lord will expose you, your uncircumcision, your separation from the Lord apart from his covenant promises for the whole world to see. You who had no shame will be shamed. You who exposed others will be exposed before the world. It's no wonder in Revelation the image of the fallen, Babylon the Great, becomes the image par excellence of the destruction of the worldly systems of the world. Babylon is the name for all worldly systems and empires that pursue their plans apart from God and in opposition to his word. Their sin was also the wanton destruction of the earth, verse 17, and violence done to Lebanon, which is the place of the great forests. David and Solomon used the cedars of Lebanon for their building projects. There was not a shame in that. But there is something for us to hear about here, about the respect for God's creation. The Lord notices, the Lord cares. He cares about the beasts in verse 17. The beasts that terrify him. I'm not saying that this is not a place to eat animals, the fish, but this is a sense of slaughter, cruelty to God's creatures. Think about the end of Jonah, the last word. is wonderfully of much cattle. I love that, I just love that the last word is of much cattle. God had mercy on the city Nineveh, including much cattle. God cared about the animals, the Babylonians did not. So we have greed, we have injustice, we have violence, we have debauchery, and the final fifth woe is idolatry. Building from greed to injustice to violence to debauchery. The pinnacle of the rejection of God is idolatry. They trust in their own creation. They make a wooden thing or a silent stone and they say, Awake, arise. With a summer summer solstice, there's always an increase in paganism, occultism, satanic marches, which is idolatry in our own day, worshipping created things rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God says, your creation is silent before you. Verse 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, await till a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath in it at all. you see the contrast that he makes between false gods and the one true God? God's words are to be more desired than gold. The law of the Lord more precious than thousands of pieces of silver. Why did the psalmist put it like that? Because they they had statues overlaid, overlaid with gold. They had no words. The God of Israel was invisible. You could not see him. There was no place for him. But his word from heaven is more precious than gold or silver. And verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple... Let the, all the earth keep silence before him. And the Hebrew word is has, and it almost sounds like our English word hush. I think it is the perfect end to this cycle of complaints. Habakkuk has dared to speak to the Lord. The people of the world have dared to make speech to idols before the Lord. But then we read in verse 20 But the Lord is in his holy temple, he has spoken. He has denounced them with five woes, and then he says, hush. You have spoken, Abba, now is the time to be silent. I have answered you. And sometimes, waking, waiting in hushed expectation is the truest form of worship we can offer. Silence, the Lord says. I am God and you are not. My glory will last Your glory will not. And sometimes we look around our world, we look at some of the senses things that are said on social media, and sometimes the best advice is to keep silent. To keep silent, because God is God. His glory will last, the world will not. This is a closed, hard passage for us. This sense of reciprocal justice doesn't appeal to us today. A tall song. But it is essential if we to understand the plan of salvation, the character of God, and the moral world that God has made. Because sin will be punished. And it is also essential to understand if we understand the gospel. Now you might say, I don't see any gospel here. I saw five woes. I heard you talking about an eye for an eye. I saw some things that made me shudder. But understand that this passage is preparing us to understand what the gospel is all about. What does Habakkuk 2 teach us? That sin deserves to be not. That sin deserves to be ridiculed. That sin deserves shame. Now it's not in our hands to execute this, but I'm talking cosmically in the way which our world works. This is what sin deserves. Ridicule, mockery and punishment. The wages of sin are death. And if you don't agree with that, then you don't understand what happened to Jesus. They sang a song of taunting. They put a crown of thorns on his brow. They struck him on the cheek. And they said, prophesy to us. They mocked Jesus. They spat on him. And he faced in his body and his soul, what I deserved. The woes that should have been on me for my sin, we see in the Lord Jesus, exactly what sin deserves. Sin deserves punishment, sin deserves shame, sin deserves to be exposed, sin deserves to be ridiculed, sin deserves to be mocked, to be taunted. And the only sinless one, Jesus, took that on himself. People sometimes think that our world is awash in relativism. I think it is the opposite. We live in a day that is very certain of what is right and wrong. It's just that the world has very few categories left. Make no mistake, the world understands what sin deserves. Do you think the the world understands that sin deserves mockery? punishment, shame, just go and spend five minutes on Twitter and you will see. Open your eyes to the cancel culture that we live in. One mistake you're done. No redemption, no forgiveness. Open your eyes to the cruel world we live in. There is no mercy there is no forgiveness on social media. And that is the prevailing culture of 21st century Great Britain. No mercy. No redemption. Our world understands what sin deserves. Our world does not understand what Christ accomplished. Our world understands what sin deserves. It doesn't understand what Jesus Christ accomplished. It doesn't understand that there is one sent from the Father full of grace and truth, who took what I deserve, who bore on his back the woes that should have been on me, so that we can know, we can know, instead of denunciation, we can know grace upon grace, and then we can go and show that grace to other people, even if they deserve judgment. May the Lord bless the world for his glory and for our eternal good. Amen.